This message is brought to you by Mill City Church in Lowell, Massachusetts. For more information, please visit millcitychurch.net. Well, good morning, everyone. It's always a privilege to stand up here and preach the Word of God to you. I have to admit, my heart has been so full the last weeks as I studied and prepared for today's message. And I pray that that would be reflected in what I, spoke, what I speak today. In many ways, the topic for this morning began to form years ago and only took its final shape last night. The topic of loving God through his scriptures is one that will bring us tremendous joy and many practical applications. It's not a quick change or something that happens overnight. It's a lifetime process and one that is filled with different seasons of joy and blessing, of laughter and tears. What I hope to accomplish this morning is to allow us to see how the scriptures can satisfy us completely. Before we get there, though, it would be good to do a quick review of the last few few weeks as Chris and Sean have both provided me with a great foundation that will help bring clarity and understanding to today's message. Last week, you heard Sean give his testimony and the difference Christ has made in his life. He showed us how the gospel radically transforms four different areas of our life. And you can see this in your notes. He transforms our love, our minds, our works, and our worship. The four areas of life he transforms are our love, our minds, our works, and our worship. He also showed us that our testimony should reflect how the gospel has radically transformed us. Two weeks ago, Chris asked us three questions at the end of his sermon, and you'll see these in your notes as well. Do you yearn for God's word? Do you walk in God's word? Do you weep with those who don't walk in God's word? Do you yearn, do you walk, and do you weep? Chris showed us the importance of loving God through his word. I'll expand on that today as well as going in a few different directions. We're going to look at a large amount of scripture this morning to keep our eyes and hearts focused properly. This morning we're also going to look at two ways to see God. One is seeing God in creation, and the other is seeing God in his word. And you'll see this as well as the next two bullet points in your notes. Seeing God in creation and seeing God in his word. We'll spend a brief amount of time on the former and the majority of our time on the latter. I'll give your hands a break from writing, and let me read a few verses here. Let's begin begin by looking at God and creation. Listen as I read Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words, whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has pitched a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, and like a strong man runs its course with joy. Its rising is from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Here you see the psalmist give us a beautiful picture to its reader of how God displays himself in creation. He uses words like declare and proclaim and champion to describe God's glory. Here we get an amazing picture of God through our own eyes 
if we just look at the world around us. Even Gandhi said, when I admire the wonders of the sunset or the beauty of the moon, my soul expands in the worship of the creator. God's creation brings him glory. A glory that should bring us to our knees in worship of him. The sun rises and sets every day of our lives. We see the night sky with multitudes of stars declaring God's presence. All these things declare and proclaim of God's greatness in profound ways, and we should turn in adoration to the Creator. We should be thankful for the revelation of Himself in nature, for without that, our sinful, depraved souls would be even more doubtful and cynical than we already are. These glories, they're not discriminate. Everyone can look and see what he has created. We can see his glory. Even beginning back in Genesis, God said he created the heavens and the earth and everything formed in them. But there's more. Something fascinating now happens. Listen to Jonathan Edwards. He says God is glorified not only by his glories being seen, but by its being rejoiced in. When those that see it delight in it, God is more glorified than if they only see it. His glory is then received by the whole soul, both by understanding and by the heart. You read that again. God is glorified not only by his glories being seen, but by its being rejoiced in. When those that see it delight in it, God is more glorified than if they only see it. His glory is then received by the whole soul, both by understanding and by the heart. So looking again at your notes, Edwards says here, God is glorified not only by us seeing what he has made, but also by us rejoicing in what he has made. Seeing should bring rejoicing in our lives. Seeing the colors of a sunset on display in the sky rolling over the tide should bring us to a point of exultation. The heavens are declaring the glory of God, and so should we. So let's just review real quick where we come from. We see God in his creation, knowing that it brings him glory. And God is glorified by us seeing what he has made, and by us rejoicing in what he has made. Let's now look at how we see God in his word. You see that in your notes. We are able to see God in his word by intentionally and prayerfully reading and meditating on it. We can see God by asking him to show us more of himself and asking him to fascinate us with who he is. A.W. Tozer describes this well when he says, whatever fascinates us will guide us. So I pray that the only thing that will fascinate me is God in his marvelous glory. God's glory is revealed to us in a different way through scripture than it is through nature. God has written a book for us to read his words, to meet him on the very pages of that book, and grow to love him in ways that we never could have imagined. He's written a book as a way for us to know him more, as a way to show us himself in ways that he does not in creation. This book is the place where we intimately meet the God of the universe. 
Even Napoleon acknowledged the power of the scriptures when he said, there is, this is no mere book, but a living creature with a power that conquers all who oppose it. It seems fitting then to stop listening to me for a few moments and listen to God's words, letting them speak for themselves. Let's get a glimpse this morning of what God says in his word about his words. The following list can't be exhaustive due to our time, but it can give us a good start in knowing the importance God places on his word. I've compiled 24 passages where God's word is the focus. You know, you've seen your notes that I have all the passages listed there. I want to read them out loud because hearing God's word audibly is very powerful. You could close your eyes and listen. You could write down different key words that stood out to you, or you could circle the references in your notes that I have there. And later on in the service at the end, we'll have some practical ways that we can use that. As I read through these, my prayer is that God's word would be powerful and active in this room. So here we go. Deuteronomy 28, 58. If you do not carefully follow all the words of this law, which are written in this book, and do not revere this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God. Deuteronomy 32, 46 and 47. Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day, so that they may command your children to obey carefully all the words of this law. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. Joshua 1, 8. Keep this book of law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Joshua 3.9. Joshua says to the Israelites, come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. 2 Samuel 22.31. As for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. Psalm 12.6. And the words of the Lord are flawless, like silver purified in a crucible, like gold refined seven times. Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Proverbs 35. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Isaiah 8, 20. Consult God's instruction and the testimony of warning. If anyone does not speak according to this word, they have no light of dawn. Isaiah 48. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God stands forever. Matthew 4.4. 4. Jesus answered, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Mark 8.38. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... The Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Mark 13, 31. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Luke eleven twenty eight. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God, and the word was God. John 5, 24. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged. He has crossed over from death to life. John 14, 15. If you love me, you will obey what I command. Acts 12, 24. But the word of, the God, word of God continued to spread and flourish. Ephesians 6, 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, 
which is the word of God. 1 Thessalonians 2.13. And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. 2 Timothy 2.9. God's word is not chained. 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, but one who correctly handles the word of truth. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Titus 2.5. No one will malign the word of God. Hebrews 1.3. The sun is the radiance of God's glory in the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Hebrews 5.12, in fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the element, elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Hebrews 6.5, who have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming age. 1 Peter 1.23, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. 1 Peter 4.11, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3.5, but they deliberately forgot that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being, and the earth was formed of water and by water. 1 John 2.14, I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Where is your heart at a moment like this, after hearing what God says about his words? What do we take away from these verses do, believe, do we believe in the words and the power that they bring? Do we believe that these are God's very words? All these questions Wayne Grudem answers with this. Our ultimate conviction that the words of the Bible are God's words only comes when the Holy Spirit speaks in and through the words of the Bible to our hearts and gives us an inner assurance that these are the words of our Creator speaking. So we can believe that these are God's words and we have the power to live by them because the Holy Spirit will show us this. Looking in your notes, he now softens our hearts and allows us to see such great joy that we come to hold the scriptures of utmost importance. It's not a luxury or privilege, but becomes a necessity. Let's define that for a moment to help us understand it. The necessity of scripture means that the Bible is necessary for knowing the gospel, for maintaining spiritual life, 
and for knowing God's will. We cannot know those things just from looking at nature. We must look to the Bible for these things. That is why reading your Bible is so important. Okay, so we see the truth. We know we need it. But do we always cling to the scriptures with all our might? Good question. R.C. Sproul speaks well to this. And hear what he says. Quote, here then is a real problem of our negligence. We fail in our duty to study God's word, not so much because it's difficult to understand, or not so much because it's dull and boring, but because it's work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion. Our problem is that we're lazy. You see that in your notes. It's probably not the easiest thing that you've heard today, is it? We make excuses of our laziness to avoid reading the Bible all the time, don't we? I'm too tired. I have too much homework. I have other books to read. I want to play Xbox Live or Call of Duty or Overwatch for hours on end. I need to fold laundry, empty the dishwasher, play with my kids. I'm hungry. I need to put all of these woes on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram so the world will feel sorry for me. Right? That's what we always think. That's where we go first. But none of these things should be our all-consuming joy. We shouldn't treat the Word of God as one of those things. We should treat it, and you'll see in your notes again, as the only thing we need. The only thing we need. This couldn't be truer. And I say that because I've experienced that in amazing ways. I have pursued God in the Bible, and he has given me a longing for him and a deep urgency to know him more. I'm human, and I certainly have days that are harder than others, days that are dry and dull and boring. But more often than not, God brings me tremendous joy in his word, and I long for more of him. Chris said two weeks ago, there's a link between your devotion to God's word and your satisfaction in God. So God's glory and our satisfaction or our joy are not at odds. This is mind-blowing, guys. I don't know if you heard that. Our glory and his satisfaction, his glory and our satisfaction are not at odds. This shows us that our pursuit in life doesn't have to be at odds of our pursuit with God. How would this change your day tomorrow if you woke up and went through the day believing that? We don't spend our time seeking to be joyful in a way that is separate from our pursuit of joy in God. You've heard me repeat that three times now. This is really important. These pursuits are not different. When we grasp that, it's an amazing reality and truth. This couldn't be summed up better than what John Piper says. He says, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. So God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. It's amazing. Let's catch up to where we are here. We'll review real, real quick. When we see God in his word, he will soften our hearts. The problem is we are lazy, but we see the word of God as the only thing we need. Thus, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. 
Today, I didn't want to just speak, but I wanted to be very practical. I wanted to use the word scary practical. Not to scare you, but to show you how we can really change our lives and make this happen. I'd like us to try something concrete and something that causes us to make an effort and invest time in knowing God. It will require trust. It will require intentionality. And it will require an effort that is beyond the, eh, okay, kind of thing. An effort that overflows out of what we are beginning to see in God's word this morning and how we know that it can change our lives. It is an effort that has unending rewards and fullness of joy. So I ask you, how do we not pursue that if that's the case? Okay, so what is it you're saying? What is it that you're going to present to us? Well, let me say this. What we're doing will help us move away from a society that is always staring at our phones and it will help us to stare and to long for scripture instead. So I brought a few examples over the years. Um, These are some things I've accumulated. So this is a ring of uh, index cards that I have different verses on that just as I've come across them, I've written them down and I can scroll through these. I don't look through these every night, but they're on my nightstand and uh, when I get a chance, I scroll through them, and uh, a lot of them have stuck in my head and are very practical for different uh, situations at work. This is one way you could do it. Something that's a little smaller, little index cards here with an elastic around it to hold it so they don't rip off. You can do- write down quotes or different scripture verses on this. Post-it notes, right? On your mirror, everyone has a mirror in their bathroom, dashboard of your car, next to your speedometer. Okay? And everywhere where your eyes can see it and focus on it. Well, I brought plenty of these things as well. I'm not just expecting you to go buy them. Uh, They will be on the welcome table as you leave this morning. Feel free. Take whatever method you think would work. Grab the smaller ones. Put them in your purse. Put the post-it notes on your mirror, in your room, on your car, anywhere. Write on your hand. I don't know. Those of you who know me often, I write on my hand things to remember. What would it look like to commit to writing down the word of God on something like this and keeping it with you at all time or looking, like, looking at it on your lunch break or instead of uh, eating your sandwich and just scrolling through Facebook on your phone, what if you looked at that instead and just immersed yourself in the word of God? How much more time would you spend getting to know Christ? Remember Deuteronomy 6. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Take some of these when you leave today. There's plenty Take whatever you think and intentionally invest time in writing down even a a verse from one of those things you circled earlier in the sermon and keeping it with you throughout the week. And whenever you catch yourself looking at your phone or doing something else, why don't you switch and do this instead? Immerse yourself in the word of God and see and be expectant of what he's gonna do. So I began this morning talking about Sean and how he gave his testimony a few weeks ago. 
I said the topic for this morning formed years ago, and what I realized is that as, it, as I'm ending here, it sort of became my testimony as well. A testimony that God's scripture changes lives. His words will give you a longing for, the, a longing for him and the things of this world will then go strangely dim. This has been true for me as I seek to know God through his word. Reading God's word has brought me more knowledge of God than looking at an amazing sunset or sunrise for the rest of my life. And those of you who know me know that I love doing that. But I love God's word more. His word has brought me the gospel, a picture of Christ who can and satisfy my deepest longings and desires. Those longings and desires are now to know him more and more and more. And that has brought me so much joy. After I pray for us, I'm going to show you a quick video. Um, and you'll see in the bottom of your notes as well that that's where a lot of my message came from today. Um, so after I pray, um, we'll watch a short video. Let me pray for us. Father, I am so, so thankful for the necessity of your word. I have seen the fruit of that in my heart. I have seen how it produces joy in you and how it has given me a deep longing for you. I pray that that would have been what people heard this morning. And I pray that they would in turn seek to know you through your word in ways that are unfathomable. Lord, please give us that heart this morning. And as we watch this video, I ask that you would give us hearts of expectancy of what you're gonna do in our life. I thank you for your word, which sustains all things. Lord, through your name and your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.